Amen. Isn't it great to be able to worship the Lord together today? Uh, it just puts everything in perspective. No question about that. No question. I want to begin today by having you read the opening 10 words of the Bible. Let's read these out loud together. They'll be on the screen. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I would dare say there's not a more controversial sentence ever written on human, in human history. Have you ever thought about that? This very well may be the most controversial ver- sentence ever written. Why do I say that? Because it absolutely polarizes us. Either you're in the camp that says, I really believe that in the beginning God created me, which means you believe you're not at the center of everything. Or you believe, I matter tremendously to my life and I can do whatever I want. Two worldviews, completely diametrically opposed from one another. I bring that up to help you realize that we are going to be in these hundred days studying a book that clearly pulls us into this camp of saying, I am under a creator God. But in human history, you realize the Bible wasn't written on day one. You realize it was written thousands, who knows, hundreds, thousands of years after even Adam and Eve were created, obviously. And so when it was written, it was actually written in a time when the majority of people in the intellectual world of that day, were in this camp over here. It was called the ancient Near Eastern culture. And they really believed that there were gods that were warring and they were in control and in many ways humans were the lackeys who were trying to fit into the story and try to, in some ways, fight in their dominance to try to prove themselves as I can fight with the best of them. In other words, this is where human, uh, human superstition formed. This is where the uh, worldview formed of uh, a sense of, okay, well, the gods are warring against each other. When bad things happen, it must be that God is mad at me. I mean, it's, it's loaded with complexity and messiness. And this is the world in which the ancient, near ancient, the world that the Bible was written in, this is what predominantly people thought and kind of proclaimed in their world. And yet, in the midst of that, we have a sense of our God stepping into it and saying, I want to show you the world that I've created, if you will. Let me take you into that through first just giving you the challenge for the 100-day challenge. Last year, we did the New Testament challenge where we were really trying to understand the story of God and the beauty and the complexity of it through the power of Jesus Christ, which he is the central figure of human history, and the New Testament celebrates that. Now we're actually going to be going into studying the backstory of Jesus Christ, which is the Old Testament. The complication of this is that the New Testament was written with 184,000 words. The Old Testament, 622,000 words. <laughs> so for us to think that we can read all of it in just 100 days is a little more complex. So what we've decided to do is actually hit the high points of the Old Testament backstory of Jesus Christ. We'll explain it as we go, but I, I want to really help you understand that this complex story of God, of the different warring concepts of different cultural thoughts, is, well, it's all over this story. 
So I want to begin by just showing you the Old Testament in one drawn line. And it may not make sense to you at the beginning, but allow me to kind of work through the message today. So this is really, if we were to map out the Old Testament, this is really the best way to illustrate the story of God in the backstory of Jesus. Let me hold that picture in your mind before I explain it and go a little bit further with this. But as you, as you look through and study the, really the, the beauty of the Old Testament story, there are four major concepts that will help you understand those squiggle lines and the messiness of God's story in working with humanity. And these four concepts are going to be the framework and the backbone to what we talk about today as we work through just the first 12 chapters of the Old Testament. Now, this is going to be your lightest and easiest reading because, frankly, the first 12 chapters are so foundational to the rest of the entire Bible. I'll explain it as we go. The first of the four concepts I want to share with you today, and they each build on one another, is this. What we learn from the creation story from the beginning is that God wants to rule the world through humans. That's a mind-blowing concept, especially when you think about the ancient Near Eastern culture that we just described a second ago um, to really, in many ways, this other worldview of God from the beginning saying, I created you from the very beginning and God is the creator and we are not. I'm not the center of the universe. Let me kind of go further with this. So God wants to rule the world through humans. Well, as you read the first chapter of Genesis, you see beautifully the first five days of creation laid out, well, from a perspective of God is God and we are not. The Almighty has spoken. God speaks and the world is created. There is, there is night and there is day. There is uh, the separation of land from sea. There are birds of the air and the fish of the sea. And you see all of the created order coming from the spoken powerful word of God who is clearly almighty. If we take the scriptures at face value as this is God's spoken dis, um, description of how the world came into be. It's awesome. It's powerful. It's fantastic. But again, they were in a culture when we believe the scriptures were written in ancient Near Eastern culture, which was Mesopotamia, if you've ever heard this or read it in history. And it was very complicated because there was this really great feud that everything that is bad in this world that happens actually came because the moon god and the the sun god were at war with one another. And you have the, the tension of Venus and the stars and all this incredible anger of these gods where humans were really the lackeys of trying to, well, how do we fit into the story? There's lots and lots of tension. And so we don't like that. So as humans, we really try to figure out a way, how can I do this world on my own strength? How can I be in control Well, God takes us into a way of ruling that is far different than what you may be thinking right now. Because what you have is, well, this idea that we are, well, engaging in the world in a really kind of messy way. In fact, the Apostle Paul brings this up in Romans when he says it this way. Humans exchanged the truth about God for a lie. We started to worship 
and serving created things rather than the creator. So we start creating a sense that money makes me happy. I'm going to try to get control of my life. Uh, pleasure, whatever I can do to satisfy my soul. You're kind of in this worldview. And Paul even called it out. He said, we are kind of going after whatever we can kind of worship and celebrate in, in this. Versus saying, no, I'm under the authority of our creator, God. So the first five days of creation, according to the scriptures, are very clearly, God is God, we are not. There's not much of a mess. It's really clear. But then we get to day six. And God calls this day very good compared to the other days being good. This day is set apart as the day where God clearly establishes his agenda with the world that we live in today. And I want to take you into that just to give you, the, uh, again, this really big picture. Let me show you what I mean. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. This is very common. You've probably heard this verse before, but hear it through this lens today. Then God said, this is day six, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule, so humans may rule over the fish of the sea the birds of the air, uh, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. First question is, as you read this verse, <laughs> who are the us and the our? Again, it sounds kind of pluralistic, like these other warring gods over here. But in, here we see actually an intimacy of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is the first image that we get of the Trinity and the image of God in this. You say, well, how can I know that? Well, in Genesis 1, when you start reading it this week, you're, and I know you've probably read this before, but read it again through just a lens of, I, I want to experience the full big picture of God. And again, we want to see like the big picture of the story, the backstory of Jesus Christ and the backstory of God through this way. And we see right from the beginning where, where God says, us and our, well, who are the us and the our? Well, you have from the beginning the Spirit hovering over the waters. Where do we later see a hovering? At the baptism of Jesus, where the dove is hovering over the baptism of Jesus, both symbols of the Holy Spirit. When God creates, he uses the language of the word is spoken. God speaks the word and something is created. Well, where do we see the word show up later? Well, in John chapter 1, it says Jesus is the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelled among us. Wow, you see the Word being Jesus, but also being a part of the creation of, of everything. And of course, the Father being a part of the speaking of all that power. You see an evidence here of us and our being Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. An intimate, beautiful, perfect relationship. And then God says, let us make humankind in our image so that they may rule over this world with us. Wow! This is the first evidence we see in, in some ways of the very first open table, like an open chair at the table saying, God is inviting us to the table of care for the world around us. It's incredible. 
I'll, I'll go on, and, and you, you see a sense of when in Genesis 2, when God creates, we see another image of more detail of the creation of Adam and Eve. And you see the creation of Adam, and it says, from the dust of the earth, God pulled the dust, like with every other part of creation, God spoke, and it came to be. But with Adam, he touched us. He, he formed us with his hands. It's an incredible image. Imago Dei is the Latin, the image of God. We are image bearers of the creator God. That is significant to the value of our lives. And then God makes us moral agents to know right from wrong. My, you know, animals don't know right from wrong. They just kill if they are to kill or they just sit there and lick themselves. Whatever they, animals do, you know, stupid. They don't have this sense of moral compass. But we're made in the image of God. It's fascinating. So then we watch this, because I think a lot of people get this image that the Bible was written to be our law. This is how we are. You read the Bible to learn how to live. No, I don't believe that's the reason God wrote the Bible. God actually, and you're going to see it in these hundred days, God wrote the scriptures to show us how much he loves us. Frankly, the Bible is a beautiful love story. And when you see it through that lens, you're going to read it from an entirely different perspective. This is an incredible love story. God invites us, because of his love, into the story of creation. Verse 28, again, still in Genesis 1. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth, and what's the next word? And subdue it. Rule. This is the instruction for us. He's inviting us into the story. The image of God in us is to be an image bearer in the, in the whole world. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over every living creature that moves on the ground. That's an incredible invite. And chapter 2, verse 15 shows us even more of this concept of ruling. Look at chapter 2, verse 15. Then the Lord... God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. That word work in the Hebrew also is the same root word of the concept of serve. I know some of you, when you heard the first point, you think, God invites us to rule. And into your image of your mind, you think, boss. You know, I am to be the king or the queen over all of, the, all of creation. It's actually a concept of we are to serve creation, to bless the world around us. God is inviting us into this idea of caring for and nurturing creation. And it's fascinating when it, he talks about the, the taking care of the garden. It, he didn't create a self-weeding garden. I kind of wish he did. <laughs> if you've ever had a garden, it's so hard. Those stupid weeds grow up so much. And, and it's like, why didn't he do that? Well, because God sees the value of work. Your work matters. What you invest with your hands, the blood, the sweat, the toil, all of that is a part of God inviting you into purpose, giving you and your job value helping you understand that he honors and, and cherishes the work that you do. 
Right from the beginning, we see God inviting us into being, if you will, a part of the creation story and a part of the managerial job of God trusting us with his very valuable creation. It's an awesome privilege. Don't ever take for granted the privilege you have to work the land and to work the the world that he has given us. It's an awesome privilege. So the first thing we see right out of the gate is really this idea of value and purpose, inviting into the story. And then God actually says something very beautiful. There's one time he says something is not good. And you you may know where I'm going with this if you've ever read the, the first couple of chapters. God says it's not good that man, woman, should, not, should ever be alone. So God creates, watch how it's worded in verse 18, just a couple verses later. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. So I will make a helper, a, a teammate, suitable for him. I'm convinced, uh, this, of course, this pandemic has been frustrating for all of us, but I'm becoming more and more convinced that one of the greater dangers than COVID is the quarantine spirit of isolation. I'm so grateful for most of you watching online, for all, the way, uh, for all of you watching online, <laughs> uh, but for the majority of our congregation is online right now. And, and so I'm so grateful for the privilege that we have to be able to still stay connected. But be very careful not to isolate yourself because God says right out of the gate, the very first thing God says is not good. This is even before sin. What is not good is for us to be alone. And so he invites us into community and into relationship. And I mean, God's math is so easy. Two people coming together as one. Two equals one. With the 12 disciples, you have 12. Jesus said, I want you to be one. With God, he always wants things to come together as one. You have three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, coming together as one. God is all about unity and oneness and a sense of community. That's a very important concept. And, and so he says to Adam, I, I want you to procreate, to take over the very first of the 613 commands of the Bible in the Old Testament. He says the very, the very first command, go and make babies. And so then you have Adam saying, if I have to. And so they procreate and they have children. That takes us to the next step in the journey. Uh, so the first thing we see is that God wants to rule the world through humans. The second thing is this, humans are the problem. This world is messed up, not because of God, but because of humans. And we see that so clearly as we watch Adam and Eve have children and they take dominion and it's beautiful, there's a great relationship, but then God puts in the garden one tree that they're not allowed to eat from. And I know people have debated this, like, why was God setting them up for failure? Absolutely not. God put the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the garden for one purpose. I'm convinced. To give them choice. Because love, a love story has no point to it if there's not choice. I think the most courageous act in human history is for God to give us a choice. To either accept him and pursue him or to reject him and to run away. Again, the two worldviews. You can live as God is your creator or as I'm going to be my own boss. Which worldview do you want to live for? That's a courageous act for God to give us a choice. And so he said, don't eat from that. You have a choice. Do you want to trust me or not? And as you read it this week in Genesis 3, you'll see, read it again through a lens of really careful awareness of how the enemy twists and 
contorts the truth and takes a little bit of truth and turns it into a lie to where Adam and Eve start to believe this lie. And it's just a very manipulative, dangerous tactic, and he's still using it to this day. And so you just as you read through that, you'll see Adam and Eve fell for it, and they ate of the, tr- the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and it created terrible, this rebellious sin. It brought separation between us and God. It's a horrible story. So God wants to have this beautiful love relationship where he invites us in to rule the world, and we have a harmony and a sense of heaven on earth. But humans are the, are the problem. And so Adam and Eve, they, they rebel, and, and that causes separation between us and God, and they end up being cast out from the Garden of Eden. And they have their children, and you have, well, Cain and Abel. And I'm convinced they had other children as well that just weren't written down. Because people say, well, how did they have more children if they have these two males? It doesn't make any sense. Well, I believe there were many children that Adam and Eve have over time. But Cain and Abel show us the spiral of sin and how humans are the problem. So Cain and Abel offer their offerings to God, and it shows their heart. Abel offered the best parts of the animal to God. Cain did not. He was really kind of selfish, saying, I want to keep some for myself. It showed their heart, and it caused an incredible separation between um, Cain's offering and Abel's offering. So God accepts Abel's offering and doesn't accept Cain's, because Cain's was filled with selfishness. And, oh, it's a mess. Because now jealousy, for the first time in human history, shows up. And Cain gets jealous of his brother Abel and he concocts a plan to kill his brother and takes a stone and crushes him over the head and and the blood of Abel goes all over. And, And Cain now is banished from the family. And you have just this spiral downward. Move ahead a few generations and you watch humanity continue on that spiral trajectory. And again, these are just the first 12 chapters of the Bible and you have this mess of humanity starting to really do whatever they want in their own eyes. And they're filled with greed and selfishness and all sorts of lusts and perversions and the world is just corrupt and falling apart. And God says, I I regret the world that I've created. And you have this sense of humanity completely rebelling against God. And this beautiful, intimate love story relationship has been broken because humans are the problem. And so God comes up with a plan to, to destroy the world. And, and, but he finds one righteous family, and his name is Noah, and they are told to build an ark. So they go to the local Home Depot, and they max out their credit card, and they build up this huge boat, and, and they get spared in this. But I know the question comes up, and you're going to see it. And one of the fears that I had about doing the Old Testament study is there's a lot of blood. There's a lot of war. There's a lot of death. There's a lot of destruction. And I've heard some real public figures who have rejected God publicly and have said, I can't follow the God of the scriptures because God seems like a jealous, trite God. But the truth of the matter is, what God is showing us in this is that God wants more than anything an intimate and perfect relationship. And when we rebel, God would rather bring death upon this world versus a broken relationship in harmony with the eternal God. And so the intimate relationship is far greater than a little bit of death. And I know that sounds so cold-hearted for me to say because I know I go through, I'm just talking on the phone with many people even this week where people are suffering and dying and death and you just think this world is so horrible. Yeah, because we're in a fallen world and humans have caused the chaos that we're living in. But God's saying relationship matters so much. And so God says to Noah, build this ark, and he does, and he spares Noah and his family, and they finally land on dry ground after all humanity is wiped out. And it sounds terrible. 
But death is nothing compared to the terrible brokenness of a relationship with our creator. That's the heart there in the story. And so then we see, as the things recede, God says to them, the same thing he said to Adam and Eve, procreate, fulfill this promise to fill the land, and, and Noah does, and his family, and, and then generations go by, and corruption happens again, and they, humans start to build up again this whole concept of, we can be in control, and there's nothing that we can't do if we don't do it all, if we all come together, and so they build this huge tower trying to become their own God. And God frustrates them by he separates them and breaks them up and he says, I'm going to give them other languages. So instead of destroying them through a flood this time, he separates humanity through different languages. And so we separate throughout the earth and you have a sense of brokenness in our, in our world and a brokenness between cultures and racism starts, frankly, right from there. We have a mess all on our hands. Oh, this is a happy day. Happy New Year. <laughs> this is horrible, isn't it? Humans are the problem. That leads to a third concept, though. And I want to kind of pull it all together with this third and then fourth concept. But God is full of grace. God is full of grace. What do I mean by that? Well, as you look deeper at the story, you could easily say, oh my goodness, God is a madman just throwing all these people into floods and scrambling languages and banishing his children from the garden. It's like, get out of my house and you stay out. You know, it just seems like he's crazy frustrated. I don't see it that way. Because as you this week read these 12 chapters, you're actually going to see so much more grace. Here's what I mean. With Adam and Eve, he could have easily banished them from his presence because holiness and unholiness cannot be in the same house. And he banishes them from the Garden of Eden, puts cherubim and separates them. But this is what's so great. God still pursued them. He kills an animal, covers them. It's the first symbol of Jesus Christ as he sacrifices this animal and he covers them. He said, the fig leaves you put on, they aren't going to last. And so he covers them with the skin of an animal. The first example of a savior covering. And in the curse on Eve, he even said, from your bloodline is going to come the savior. He doesn't call it the savior, but he, he says the serpent is going to be crushed which is an image of the, and the bloodline is going to be beautiful. God is going to bring a plan to pass. You could say, well, with the Noah story, it's loaded with all of this destruction. But at the end of it, God gives us rainbow and God starts to show, I'm going to be a promise keeper. I promise you to never flood the whole earth again. And God just puts this incredible promise out before the people saying, I'm for you, not against you. With Cain and Abel, we could go back even before that and say with Cain, well, he banished Cain from the, from the family and he, it's not good for man to be alone, but you send him off by himself. Well, by this time, there, people had spread and Cain actually is put with a, 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 a mark on his skin that says you're not to hurt Cain. It's a great story of God saying, I'm still going to protect you. Even though you deserve banishment, you're protected. And so Cain goes off and he doesn't get killed like he thought he was going to. And he meets a woman and he has a child and their child's name is Enoch. Enoch was the first righteous man to the point where he walked with God and never died. So the bloodline of Cain is redeemed. There's grace all over this story. 
Well, you could say, well, what, what about the Tower of Babel? Well, thousands of years after Babel and all these languages were spread, back in Jerusalem, we have this incredible picture that we see in the New Testament of the people of God coming together in the upper room in Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit descending and the birth of the church and Pentecost with this incredible image of everybody speaking in their native tongue but understanding one another, a oneness happening. Redemption, like a, a cleansing of all of the destruction because God is full of grace. Let me put it from this perspective. So as you, as you see, this was just gibberish to you. But let's look at it through what I've just shared with you. So God wants to rule the world. So let's say this is an image of the world and here's the beginning of time and, and here's moving into the end of time. And this is just a picture. But you see, that's kind of a big mess right there. So God wants to rule the world through humans, but humans are the problem. And so you have sin down here. But God is full of grace, and so he gives us Abraham, and we start to build the promise of God through Abraham and the bloodline. And he says, I'm going to bless the world through your bloodline. But the world, again, is filled with humans, and humans are their problem. And you have power struggles rising up, and you have Egypt with Pharaoh starting to rise up. And so Pharaoh encapsulates and imprisons all of God's children. And so then you watch this craziness of the pain, but God, again, is filled with grace, and he sends this man by the name of Moses, and they get set free, and, and you have a sense of redemption. But again, humans are the problem. And so humans start to do what they want in their own eyes. And, and so you have a period of tons of judges that God trains up. But each of the judges, each subsequent judge that we're going to see, they're okay and they try to bring righteousness back. But each generation you will see is a little worse than the one before. And Israel is starting to spiral out of control as you watch Israel start to really fall into great struggle. And you have prophets that come along who, who scream out, but again, humans are the problem. And so you have people like the Babylonians and, and the, you have the uh, Assyrians and all of these people that bring in into some captivity of the separation of Israel and the brokenness. Uh, again, but like Pastor Paul Gartley last week shared, you still have some prophets who come in and bring some hope and some resurrection kind of excitement. But again, humans are the problem. And so we still spiral out of control. Again, we're in trouble here. So here's the deal. God wants to rule the world through humans. But humans are the problem. And when we're in the mix, we create chaos. As God wants to create this utopia and the sense of heaven on earth, and, and yet we mess it up time and time again. So what's the solution? That's the big idea of today. We need a new kind of human. Enter the need for the Savior of the world. You see, from the beginning, uh, the foundation of creation, we see in Revelation 13 a great description of from the, from the creation, from the beginning of time, Jesus was established as the Messiah, as the Savior. Uh, Jesus, who's always been was revealed in the beginning of creation. So God from the beginning saw that our rebellion was going to lead us toward tons of chaos. Uh, and so God redeems us and moves us to the New Testament and all the resurrection power. And, and I would dare say we're headed toward greater days than even in the times of Adam and Eve in the perfect unity. God is moving us into a place of incredible resurrection power. 
Because we need a new kind of human. That's what the New Testament is all about. Listen to these words. This is 2 Corinthians 5. If anyone is in Jesus Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All of this is from God. Grace. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, of brokenness. God in his perfection, us in our messiness, God bringing us together in a perfect created relationship. But it can only happen when you die to self. It can only happen when you realize, I don't want this ancient Near Eastern worldview of I'm going to try to prove life on my own strength. I'm going to do it myself because the warring gods don't make sense. The world is filled with chaos in the midst of it. This is the way the world has always been. It's been this worldview fighting against God as the Almighty over your life. But you can only enter into this kingdom when Jesus said, unless you're born again unless you die to your ways and come alive to his resurrected ways. This is, the, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it started way back then. It's been going on ever since. So the scriptures, when we read the Old Testament, this, this 100 days, the purpose of you reading these 100-day challenge is not to learn how to behave better. I don't want you memorizing all 613 laws. <laughs> We're going to have a mess on our hands. Wait a minute, you're mixing pork. You shouldn't be doing that. You'd be bringing in all these laws, and we will get to that in Leviticus. We'll get to that for sure. But you're going to have all this tension. The point, if you get to the end of these 100 days and you feel like, I am smarter than her, I am more holy than them, you've missed the whole point. The whole point of these 100 days is that you see the fact that you need a Savior because humans are the problem. You are the problem. I am the problem. We get in the way. Enter Jesus Christ the need for the incredible gift of grace. So, I want to invite you into this journey. I want to challenge you to, to study hard, to read it. Um, you could go online. We've got some um, handouts around as you leave. You can go to the, the center back there or on the, each tables around here. You'll see them. We're trying to be as socially distant, as careful as we can, um, but probably just get it online and uh, you start reading it with us. There's also going to be classes that we can take, and so you can go onto our app or onto our website and sign up for a class. They'll mainly be by Zoom, but 50 people will be in person because teachers teach better when there's human beings in the flesh. So I think that'll be a really good way to do it and it'll be socially distanced and safe but you have a chance to really debate with the scriptures fight with them and say what was God thinking this genocide garbage this doesn't make any sense it's going to be very healthy for us to hear the backstory together and studying it together amen Does it makes sense so uh, I want to pray right now over us and I just especially want to pray for just a sense of repentance that humans are the problem uh, but so grateful as I pray that God has created in us a new creation that we can be a new kind of human that we're resurrected in the power of Jesus Christ so let's pray over that Lord I, I want to thank you that you've invited us into the, the journey of ruling over this world by serving the world uh, by, by a sense of humility at the same time, God, forgive us for our sin and our rebelliousness and the chaos that we've created in this world. I pray right now as well for just a, a, a thank you, a thankful heart for your amazing grace. And I thank you uh, above and beyond, uh, above and above all else, God, uh, a grateful heart for you making us new 
creating us as new humans, new living creatures in you. It's amazing. You have redeemed us and have set us free. And I pray for anyone in this room or online who haven't yet made that step of repenting of their sin and being born again, new into your creation. I pray that that happens today, this very moment. I thank you for the gift of your amazing grace and inviting us into your story. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's uh, stand together. And if you just pray that prayer, go to 94,000 on a text. Just text 94,000 and then text GRACE2020 um, and we'll start a a conversation with you. So uh, with that said, let's stand together and sing and and praise our incredible Savior uh, today.